The hosts of Cannabis Law Talk and Leach Tishman for Scaldwell and Lample in no way encourage the illegal activity. Listeners of this podcast must be mindful that processing, using, distributing, and or selling marijuana is a federal crime. And in no legal advice given herein is intended to provide any guidance or assistance in violating federal law, nor will it provide any guidance or assistance in complying with federal law. Please also note that nothing in this podcast is intended to be deemed advice regarding the federal, state, or local tax consequences of engaging in any business in the cannabis industry. This is Cannabis Law Talk. I'm Ken Foltz. And I'm Chris Gonzalez. Cannabis Law Talk is a podcast that focuses on the business, politics, and law of cannabis, featuring some of the influencers in the industry and more. Our aim is to provide non-lawyers with a broad overview on the cannabis industry and the law in the United States, and how to better understand and navigate through this cutting-edge and always-changing industry. Welcome to Cannabis Law Talk. I'm Chris Gonzalez. And I'm Ken Foltz. And today we're going to talk about real estate. Uh, Many people that we know and work with own lots of real estate, and it's an entirely unique area with relation to cannabis and the use of that real estate. Obviously, we discussed in the past there's some issues and tensions between the state and federal laws, and these also are unique to the real estate world in the sense of ownership, investment, uh, use, Um, and we'll dive into a bunch of those issues. This happens to be Ken's somewhat expertise. So, Ken, I'm going to pose the question to you. Fire away, Chris. All righty. Give me some background on the, the uniqueness between the cannabis world and real estate. So, Chris, it really is unique. It is very different than a typical real estate transaction. I mean, the reality is, yes, this is a growing facility, a production facility, um, where you're either growing, processing, or, you know, a dispensary is really just a retail store. Um, in reality, but because of the federal issue with it being a Schedule One narcotics and it being illegal, it is it creates just a litany of <laughs> weird issues that we don't have to deal with in these normal transactions that we really have to deal with. Um, I can maybe talk. Let's talk maybe big picture first sure. before we dive into the nitty gritty of the particulars of the contracts and what you have to deal with. Really, it comes down to you know land use zoning, because really that's an area where depending on your jurisdiction, you have to be extremely careful to see one, what's the state law, what's in your jurisdiction if it is legalized for recreational or medical, um, that where can you legally put a dispensary, where can you put a grow facility? You know, each state has their own unique restrictions. You know, it can't be within a hundred feet of a daycare center or a mm-hmm. church or a school, or things of that nature. So that's sort of step one. You have to look at that and figure out what are the rules of the game from a real estate perspective. Where can I put these locations? Then you have to, once you figure that out, then you have to become, you know, okay, be a normal real estate developer. Where does it make sense to have a dispensary? Do you want to have great access? You know, it was, it was interesting. Initially in the cannabis space, people looked at real estate and they thought it was dispensaries. It was going to be in a back alley. It's going to be dark. It's somewhere you're going to have to, hide and hide where you're at um that's completely false that is not the case literally they want to be the dispensaries now are looking for you know out parcels on a corner with great parking great signage like truly great just normal great retail locations and interestingly the retail owners people that own those properties they want the dispensaries to come in because they can now rent to other ancillary 
related holistic, you know, yoga studios, a coffee shop, a tea shop, a bookstore. I mean, it, it does sort of tie into kind of its own culture with a dispensary. So sort of the stigma from the real estate side has changed. That's kind of unique from the business side. But back to the legal side, once you figure out the state rules, then you have to figure out the local rules. So, okay, you find a great location. It's on a great, you know, intersection. Maybe you have a light. You have good access, good parking. People will feel secure coming in and out, which is incredibly important when you're trying to figure out your real estate as well because they're generally buying in cash. Unique issue from security issues. We have you got cash issues. Cash. That, that's part of picking your location. But then you have to go and look at the local rules, the local zoning rules to see if you legally are permitted to operate that business. No different than any other business. But what's unique about it is a lot of these locations, the, the local governments, haven't passed amendments to their zoning ordinances since the jurisdiction has adopted a new program. So what use is this? It's just general retail? They're going to say no. Their solicitor isn't going to provide that as their initial answer. I would presume that the, the generally the law would say no illegal activity is probably something that's going to be consistent amongst jurisdictions. Correct. So when we look at the federal side, well, yes, Schedule 1. But when you look at the state side or the local jurisdiction, it's probably not considered illegal. And the, the advice I generally give to our clients is you can fight a local jurisdiction. If you find a location, you can, and it's a great location, you can go in there. If they basically take that stance, Chris, to where they're saying, this is illegal, we don't want it permitted, even though generally the zoning laws indicate that any legal use, ha there has to be somewhere, even, you know, sin uses, if it might be, you know, an adult store or, you know, a um, strip club, something like that, there has to be somewhere in your community where that could be permitted. They usually tuck it away somewhere that's, you know, off the beaten path. But if the local community says, we don't want this here, my general advice is find somewhere else. Right. That, that, that fight generally isn't going to be worth it. Good luck. You're, you're going to be fighting in the courts a long time to try to do that. Try to find a community that is will welcome you with open arms or not at least fight you. That Some of them have actually amended their zoning codes, but that's rare. That, 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 I would say, is a very small percentage. Um, so you can look at, you know, if you look at the zoning code, is there, you know, a use not permitted right. under the code? Okay, where can you do that? Can you get a variance? Can, you know, again, we've had people that have gotten license that go into communities, and they literally said, here, we're going to, we'll give you a letter. We'll give you a zoning letter to say that it is approved in our community. You're good to go. It's wonderful. It's great to have that as part of your application. You know, you know, it's unique in California recently, they opened up a lounge in a very upscale area. And it was open, only open for a very short period of time because of some violations. Did not prepare <laughs> properly. Not saying they got bad advice, but indicating that they were not ready or looking forward. Again, compliance, compliance, risk management, preventative, preparation is everything. So it sounds to me that as a landowner, or as a person is looking to, to release land, that's the most essential thing for everything we talk about is making sure you know those rules. And you know, one thing I do notice too is, is and correct me if I'm wrong, is become friendly with the locals to Absolutely. some extent, specifically it the is. government. I mean, it's almost essential. You can overcome the legal issues a lot with building a relationship. Absolutely. With the local officials, with people in the community, with the borough manager, the township manager, city manager. That that that. 
because in this area particularly um you can get tripped up on technicalities if they want to stop you of course they can find a way well it's so different than building an ice cream store and you they, you know if they if they really are they'll find a way to, to stop it, you they can make it extremely painful to do so uh, which can make it hard to get in the market um but you know so that's sort of step one just trying to find a location and that's you know dispensaries but even on the grow side well let's know. ask about let's let's before we move off to the next step yeah let's talk about that step so i i want to i have a piece of land i want to lease it to you you know now i got a contract which we have a whole other podcast dedicated to that but from a perspective of the real estate contract or a lease of some sort um we've got some issues obviously a lot of issues um right. so from that perspective, in that lease, there, there's so many different. So from the landlord's perspective, one of the first things that they need to make sure of, if the landowner wants to lease to a cannabis business, they need to look this. If they have financing on that property, which most landowners do, very few you know, real estate developers or holders own their property outright. Economically, it doesn't make sense. You leverage it. You get a loan. Well, guess what? You can't really have a cannabis business in those properties because you would be violating your mortgage, your security agreement. Oh, because it's federally based usually. It's federally based and it also indicates there's all, every single, I will say this is, I say there's no definitives. I'm going to give you a definitive. Every single security agreement and mortgage that is out there with a commercial bank has a clause in it that you cannot have illegal activities. From a, fe- from, from a federal from side. From a federal, federal side. And, and the reason being is that many loans, if not all loans on property are federally insured Correct. and backed and therefore exactly. that's the connection which leads to the concept of potential forfeiture of course that's the big yes. issue that's the fear that, that, so before we get fear. into that yeah. aspect you know we'll get to but the it second does tie to that to where so if you're a landowner this is a great location i'd love to have a cannabis business there they're willing to pay higher rents if you have a mortgage security agreement um you might as well forget it now what i've seen people do they, that have really really wanted to get a cannabis business into their space what they've done is they've actually uh, subdivided out an out parcel in a great location. They go to their bank and say, we want to take this property off the mortgage. We'll pay down our mortgage a little bit. We want to take it off, legally subdivide it, have a different entity own it. They still own it, but they've, we've actually helped a group go through that process. It was that important wow. to them that they wanted to be, basically the landlord almost became an investor in reality in the company because they were able to, and the company wanted to be there so much that they really became part owner or they, they were getting a percentage rent on the sales, which happens a lot in the retail space. Um, but that's, you know, again, that's a 101 sort of issue from the real estate side. If you have a financing or if you think you're gonna, you can't get financing, at least not bank financing. So if I, so typically though, many landlords with, even if they have financing on their, on the books with a mortgage, they, some still, still go through the process. And I've seen some up to, uh, issues where they, they've carved in language written specifically in language, not carved out. We typically as lawyers carve out language. This is drafting specific language that deals with the forfeiture aspect. Because that's the biggest fear, right? The, either the, the, the government comes and wants to shut you down or your mortgage company comes and somehow, and they're finding ways to say, look, we know you're running a cannabis business here, but have definitely easy outs, and I call them easy right. outs, which is very hard to do yeah. when you have a landlord-tenant relationship. But in these cases, since they're paying higher rents and what have you, and they know that the business is you know, on the verge of a, of a on the fence, we'll call it, they have these easy carve-outs, and, and that's, that's unique. And that becomes more of a risk, really, for the tenant, the cannabis business that's operating there, that 
they may not have the most secure location then because then the landlord wants that out to where they say, well, okay, if I get a problem with my bank or the government comes after me, I can terminate the lease and kick you out immediately. Right. And that, that's one solution. Another interesting aspect to those types of agreements where if you're trying to lease uh, property to these companies, uh, you need to be very careful with regards to your choice of law, your jurisdiction. You can't go into federal court to try to enforce your lease with a cannabis company. Uh, we have a unique, we have a unique end around of that one, but we'll get to that in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and it's it, but you those are these are things that you just sort of have to think about that are not normal to that space. Um, another oddity because of the federal law in the real estate world is if I'm going to go purchase property for a grow facility dispensary within the industry. Um, you know, step number one is you do a title report. You, you, you pull the title, you look at it, can I do this? You know, the vast majority of the larger title insurance companies will not touch. They, they have strict prohibitions. It's in it, they will not insure cannabis. No, insurance is a whole other topic. We'll and it's, to. But it, it ties into this real estate side of you, you need to be cognizant that if you're trying to buy property for these locations, you need to find a title company. There's some out there. They're the smaller companies. Let me think of this. How's this one? <clears throat> so I'm a neighbor, and we got some just general impact issues. Like you know, I'm your neighbor, and your place reeks, and it's affecting my clientele. So we got those issues too, right? And this is a, obviously in the case of dispensary. Um, even though you've got the four walls around it and the roof and everything else and doorways and all that, you know, there's sometimes ways in which you're not going to prevent. Yeah. That happening, which creates problems for your neighbors and your and you know other tenants in the in the in the yeah, area. You have to be cognizant. That's no different. I mean, really, I, I liken that honestly to a restaurant. You just have the the smells, the odors that emanate. You need to be mindful of that as part of your build out and development of the property. Um, but you know, you you can deal with those. You just again, you need to think that through and not just jump into. So again, we go back to the concept of know your your local people, meet your local people. You know, obviously, one in this case, you may want to meet your neighbors, right? Yeah. Clearly. Let me ask you a question about paying rent. So it's rent time. All right, the lease says I got to pay you ten thousand dollars for the month. How do I pay you? Yeah, it's um, unless you have figured out a creative way as a cannabis business to um, bank your money and find a way to bank it, uh, you most likely are going to be paying in cash. And as a landlord, you know, that's a whole nother. Oh, that's a completely different, yeah. <laughs> we, we've, we've dealt with that. We've, we've had groups that have sort of, they jumped in, they were thrilled, they were happy, they went and did it on their own, and then I've gotten phone calls. These people just showed up with a duffel full of cash to pay our rent. What do we do with this? Here comes the pallet, guys. Back it in. Well, wait, is it food? No, it's a pallet of cash. Well, it's rent for the month. It's rent for the month, and it, guess what? It creates an issue for the landlord. If they go showing up at the, their bank... That's true. With a duffel bag of cash, their bank's. Well, where did this come from? Well, it came from my weed tenant. They're not gonna. They're not gonna bank it. Right. They're. They're gonna turn you away. So it, that, that's another issue you need to think through. Um, and with, and by the way, and we had talked about the laws in our last broadcast yeah. or one of our earlier broadcast about this. Um, and you know, just understand what they are. There may be some exceptions to it. Um, they're not many, but you may have a unique situation with the bank that may have an exception because you are a independent provider. You're in that ancillary right. world that you might be able to find a way to bank it if not. But you you're going to have to, again, maybe you have to have a really good relationship with your bank. Right. And be able to explain them, talk, get them to be comfortable with that. That's so almost, just almost a landlord. Right. right. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, don't, we, we like, we'd love as lawyers to give you definitive answers. 
Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to, but we're giving you kind of the general review of this. And, you know, one of the, a couple of these things that we're talking about in the, on the real estate side are critical. You know, I, I keep going back to the agreement. I'm a, I'm a contract guy. You know, I do a lot of transactional work, I mentioned, in business. And so I'm looking at these contracts and, you know, finding ways to protect, in our case, let's say, on the tenant. Well, I want to stay in as long as I can. You know, you know, am I responsible for improvements? Am I responsible for, you know, things that deal with increased costs? Because obviously I'm paying a higher rent, I presume. You know, another one I want to ask you about is utilities. So if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but it takes, a, for a growth facility, it takes a lot of power. I mean, and I know it. I was just recently at that facility I was telling you about it, and they're using three, four times the amount of power of a normal place, which is so expensive. Electricity and water use. And water use. Is significant, too. and also it's water on the, and also the sewage on the disposal side. That You really need to pay attention to that, and if you're a landlord, you... 100% need to make sure that all of those costs with regards to the increase in the infrastructure. You know, one, you, have to, you can't assume that your typical infrastructure for electric and water is sufficient. You need to push that off on the tenant, typically, okay. if you're on the landlord side. You want to say, that's yours. You need to figure it out. You need to pay for it directly. I'm not responsible for it um, because it is unique. Um, it is expensive. Now, I have seen some landlords that are willing to take on that work, that they will put that investment in. They'll put in some of the investment for the building, but it comes at a pretty significant cost. You tenant for no tenant for landlord improvement and then bulk, bulk the rent up or the, bump the rent up. And percentage rents, um, and it, you know, it gets basically, they want to get in the business. This is a backdoor way for landlords to really get into the cannabis business. In California, if that happens, I think there's a requirement. I Don't quote me right now. I don't have it in front of me. But there's a requirement that if the landlord participates or individuals participate in the percentage side or the proceeds side, that you got to list yourself as a, not per se an owner, because you don't have to be an owner, but an, an, an included or uh, an individual that's part of the process and disclose that to the government uh, through some forms. And so it's critical. Again, we're going back to these. These, these so many nuances on these issues that, you know, make sure you seek out, you know, the right access. You know, many, you know, one thing, you tell me, I noticed in California, this is many of the brokers and agents don't have a clue of what's going on. There's a handful, now I'm speaking in generalities, but there's a handful, small amount of real estate agents and brokers that are familiar with the industry, know how to handle it, know how to deal with it. Is well, that kind of what uh, you're in? Oddly enough, um, we just dealt with um, a client that uh, the real estate broker that they were working with for years, they decided to jump into the cannabis space. We were helping them kind of get prepared for Pennsylvania. Um, most likely is going to be going full recreational here in the next probably 12 days, 18 months, I would estimate. And they wanted to try to buy property to be prepared. Great retail properties that they could have for the next wave of dispensaries. Um, the large um, brokerage house, national brokerage house, um, turn them away. They'd, they'd worked with them for 20 years. Wow. This development group, and they said, sorry, you're you're working in the weed space. We can't work with you. And they're out. They're out. Wow. Which is amazing. I mean, you know, not trying to disparage real estate brokers, but they'll take any deal. Like, they, they, love, <laughs> I mean, they love deals. They love deals. That's right. that's what they do. They like, may they, do more deals than lawyers. They, they use the word deals more than lawyers. Yeah, do they, I mean, that's, that's, they absolutely never walk away from a deal. And this was a package deal. You know, this was a group that was looking to buy about a dozen properties. Well, you know, in, in, in many places, California specific, there are locations, uh, jurisdictions that are earmarking land. 
And that's a big issue. And we go back to that's the first comment you brought at the beginning. Is there earmarking land specific for cannabis-based? And one particular I'm thinking of, they just earmarked 1,000 acres, which is an enormous amount, all for indoor grows, which means they can pack in a lot of stuff in a double, double wide, I call mm-hmm. them, a double side, yeah. or even a double uh, two-story or multiple-story facility. Um, so there's those. And there's the, the ones right that are adjacent to them that are completely against it. So, you know, going back to those issues, you know, how does, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about the contract and the lease, and you, you made a, a little side note that, you know, how do you deal with it in the courts? So there's a dispute. There's a rental dispute, you know. If I understand it correctly, and I, I already know the answer, of course, is that, you know, if I brought that case to a state court or to a federal court, I'm going to lose because under federal law, the lease by default is unenforceable. Correct. And potentially, there's been some rulings on the state side that they're unenforceable. So, what's a good round, you know, roundabout? What what we've tried to utilize. Now, granted, the, the the funny part about it is you still ultimately may end up in state court. But what we've tried to use is a complex arbitration clause to really get people to you know say that it'll be binding arbitration, and you know, and you, it, that's the parties have all agreed to that. Like people, and we explain why, and they, they make sense. Um, have not fortunately had an incident yet where we've had to have an arbitration ruling be challenged at a state court level to see if they might want to try to enforce. It out. Well, it's yeah. So for those, so what typically happens in arbitration is you go through a couple of days of your arbitration. The uh, the, the arbitrator makes a decision, typically a written decision. You're required, not required, but seek out you know, factual finding, legal finding, and then you get a ruling. And then you know. All right, Chris against Ken, and Chris, you're going to be awarded a, a million dollars. Okay, now what does Ken do with that? Well, in order for Ken to enforce that, he's got to go to court because you can't enforce it privately. Um, yeah, you can send out people and try to get the collection. It just doesn't work. It doesn't and work. So now you're back into court. Yeah. And I would presume, and this has not happened often, I haven't done the, the legal research on it, but I would presume the court would say, well, look, you went through the process. You right. negotiated a contract at arm's length. You went through the process of arbitration. X was successful, and therefore you're responsible, and we're going to enforce it. We're not going to make a determination. Most jurisdictions don't want to go in and basically retry an arbitration ruling. Um, Now, one of the the nuances that we put into the arbitration provisions is that at least one of the arbitrators, sometimes there's one arbitrator, sometimes it's a panel, that we want these individuals to have an expertise in the cannabis space because it's unique. This isn't, you know. So does that mean you and I might be arbitrators? <laughs> That's true. We may. We, we could get pulled in. But it's it's important because, you know, this is a new, unique space. You want somebody to understand that versus if they haven't worked in this space at all, they may look at the contract and go, well, I haven't seen a provision like this. Why would it, This is what it should be this. Well, here's why. Right. Because the federal issues, the other things we talked about, that you want to have things in place, you know, uh, oddity within the leases and the contracts, you know, is insurance. It's another area that's a challenge because of the federal issue. Um, you know, one, the tenant, you have to require them to have their own insurance to protect the building. But, you know, there's typically a clause that the landlord has some protection that if anything that the tenant does causes an increase in the insurance, they have to pay for it. Well, the tenant operating a cannabis business might actually cause the insurance to be canceled. Right. There, there's a risk there, depending on who your company is. Don't assume that your liability provider fire typical right, right. fire typically you know it's a flutter of fire what's going to ruin your, your, right. your facility 
And so, you know, fire happens and what you submit a claim. As a tenant, you submit a claim under your policy. Right. The land the landlord will submit a claim because I'm sure he or she may have a backup policy. Absolutely. And what it could get rejected. And, and denied. It could deny the coverage. Don't make that assumption. You need to make sure and be careful that you're protected on that front. You know, I made a point earlier and I want to make sure that our listeners understand this. When you go to a, an individual for for legal advice specific, we'll say, you know, if you find someone that says, "Oh, I'm a cannabis attorney," I find that a little difficult. I don't. I, I call myself a cannabis provider to certain areas of the space. You might as well. Absolutely. So when you're looking out in your in your business advisors and your legal advisors and your financial advisors, um, understand that there's no per se one person that's going to be able to assist you. It's going Absolutely to be more not. of a. It's a global. You know, in our case, for our firm, we've got a, a group that that has different expertise in the area. Um, from tax to intellectual property, employment, uh, yeah, environmental. Yeah, we provide IP no. advice in this space. We know that it's unique. We'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it, but we, we're not going to provide that advice. Right. Versus, so, you know, the real estate I can drill down into these nitty-gritty specific issues that are unique to this. Which goes back to the arbitration issue. And the arbitration issues, you're going to find and look for arbitrators that have expertise. There are not many out there yet, but they're going to be growing, I think, because the space is going to be eventually having some issues. Um, hopefully not as many as we uh, we see now in our clog system, but it'd be great for that. So, hey, Ken, I think today was a good uh, experience for me because I didn't know a lot of stuff that you just told. Yeah. Even even though we prepared for the show together, I didn't know some it's, of the things you brought up. And, there, and the, the crazy part about it is those are sort of the big button issues. There's still a lot of different little nuances that, you know, if you're going into the space and you're dealing with real estate, make sure you have a really good real estate attorney that truly understands the impact on the cannabis business and how that is going to really, it's going to look a lot different. And I think we'll probably end up having a follow-up show. I mean, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe propose that we have one related to being a tenant, renting a space, and you have to use, you're a renter, and you you have a medical card or, or a recreational. Can you use it in your apartment or not? You know, we shouldn't do that. Maybe talk about I, that. Down. I actually represent a number of groups that are multifamily. Oh well, we'll deal with we that. We actually one. just revised all their form leases. Oh. All can, right. I can bring them in. It'd be fun to talk to them. Let's do that down the road. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to Chemist Law Talk. I'm Chris Gonzalez. I'm Ken Foltz. Weed need to talk that's our show thank you for listening to cannabis law talk you can reach us at cannabislawtalk.com or on twitter at cannabis law talk or you can also write us at cannabis law talk at leechtishman.com that is l-e-e-c-h-t-i-s-h-m-a-n.com this is Chris Gonzalez. This is Ken Foltz. Talk to you soon.